Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. <laughs> but I think the bigness of this route and just just the fact that you're gaining so much ground and that you, yeah, it's the unknown. It's just expedition into unknown. You know, you only know what you're doing two days before you start. Yeah, I think it's hopefully that whole experience is what I can hope people can take back. Yeah. Okay. You people sit tight, hold the fort, and keep the home fires burning. And if we're not back by dawn, call the president. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He says we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Welcome to the Dark Zone Adventure Racing Podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatins. This is a fun one today. Stefan Muller, race director for the World Championships, has joined us to offer a full course preview. That's right, folks. This episode walks you through the entire 800-kilometer course, stage by stage, transition by transition. And Stefan does a great job breaking down the course and the challenges and the ups and the downs and what each team will be coming across. The World Championships for 2023 is the end of a great season of adventure racing. A lot of races around the world, a lot of races that are longer and shorter and challenging, and race directors everywhere are pouring their heart and their soul into the sport. Enjoy this episode, folks. Great course preview. Good luck to all the teams out there. We'll be watching from afar. We'll be watching up close. Congratulations to the Adventure Racing World Series and their CEO, Heidi Muller putting together a great world championship. Sit back and enjoy this show and then head over to the internet and capture the dots and see all that is going on in South Africa. Thanks for being here and enjoy the show. I'd like to also mention the Dark Zone's charity partner, Ascend Athletics. We are proud to support their mission to empower young women through mountaineering-based leadership training and community service. All of our listeners are encouraged to visit ascendathletics.org to learn more about Ascend and their work in helping to develop leadership and resiliency in young women in Pakistan and Afghanistan through fitness, mental health, community service, and mountaineering. Please note that Ascend pays nothing for this mention. We just love the work that they do and are happy to spread the word. Be sure to check out their website for some upcoming activities that anyone can get involved in. Welcome to the Dark Zone of Interest and Podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatins, here with Stefan Muller. Stefan is the race director for the Adventure Racing World Series, the championship being held right now in South Africa. He's been pouring himself into the race for, for I would say, well over a year. Um, as you're listening to this at home, the racers have just started on the course. They've they've left the, the 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 start point. They're out there, and the purpose of this interview is to give the listening public a full understanding of the course, a course preview, because it's going to be a great race. A lot of great teams are out there, strong teams. Uh, the the winner from last year has not returned. Avai is not racing, so there will be a new champion for the Adventure Racing World Series, and we're delighted to have Stefan here this morning to talk about the race and about what racers can expect. Stefan, the floor is yours. Tell us all about your course. Well, yes, yeah, it's um, it's been a while in the making. I think it's our, it's me and Heidi's fifteenth expedition race over a period of about 12, 13 years, and um, I hope that um, all of those years have culminated into something that um, people will enjoy um, and basically lose themselves into the wilderness. And um, we can tick all the boxes that that, that we that we've sort of learned what the people are seeking. So yeah, we are extremely privileged to have this field gathered on our shores. Um, all the all the top races in the world are here. Um, so it's going to be a great competition on that way. It always your know, championship is is vital that you have all the players on the on the floor. So I do think that um, that 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 we have that. And yes, the um, a lot of a lot of those teams haven't raced in South Africa, and as you know, in adventure racing, the uniqueness of adventure racing is that every race director's got their own style. So 
I'll be hopefully our style will will um will will, will do a world champion just yeah. So um I'll be very excited. Yeah, you're right. You've you've attracted a world class field, well over a hundred teams. Um the course itself is a lengthy course. It's a it's a point to point course. There's not a lot of uh out and backs built in there. Uh, let's talk about the course itself. Let, let's dive into it. Let's give the people at home a sense of what the racers are going through. I know that stage one begins with a trek and there's a significant beach trek that's built in there. Walk us through stage one. How are you getting the racers into the race? How are you starting them off? All right. So we have 10 legs. We have nine transitions. Um, so we basically, um, everything is starting in the next, uh, if, 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 if the team starts now, um, they're on foot. As we started this morning, they're on foot. Um, the, third, the first leg is about um, about 56 kilometers. So we start started close to the coast. So the first sort of 20 kilometers, we'll see them meandering their way through some um, farming areas, mainly um, dairy, milk, um, and to get them to the coast. And then we move into this dune field, which is the largest dune field in the world, some or second largest or close to the largest, but it is large. So from when you enter the dune field until you see the sea, that's about four kilometers. So that's far to walk before you see the water. Then the teams will follow the coast. So obviously that will be talked about, about 20 kilometers of just the beach trek. I mean, other than the beauty, because there where you're walking, nobody allowed to walk. Nobody goes there. No vehicles goes there. There might be a park vehicle from the parks board, maybe going there once a week. That's it. But all the stuff that's washed up on shore from the boats, um, all the animals, you'll see probably some whales in the sea, some dolphins. But the people will ask why. And I think, you know, from a, if you want to tick all these boxes, and for people who have raced 10, 20 kilometers in the beach, tests everything. It's not an inclined beach. So that, that, that is normally a concern if the beach are too inclined. Then obviously you can start off with causing a lot of injuries. Um, but it's quite a flat beach. But I mean, that mentally it will test. What do we do? Do we run? Do we walk fast? Do we try and catch the people? It's so so a small little significant part of the race. But mentally it will test a lot of people. It will also set the tone of who's who. What's the strengths that we have? Because now there's, once you got to the, once you get to, um, there's, there's 17 checkpoints on this first leg. And once you, um, Hit uh, CP15. You're actually only on the on on the beach. So you got 15 CPs before you hit the beach. Then you got 20 k's with no CP kilometers, and then basically you hit the first river crossing. So the way we worked it out is that hopefully we'll get the first teams close to dark on that first river crossing to get everybody on the same playing field. Because as adventure racing, as life is adventure racing, it's the same. You know, it always always it always suits the strong. And um, and uh, we want to give everybody the same opportunity to swim at night instead of swimming at top. So we have two checkpoints. We have to swim, maybe a sort of a 200-meter swim, um, to get to another dune field with even more where you're physically going through the dune field, not on the beach, for about three kilometers, and then you swim again, and then you're right at transition one. So at that, at that um, swims, um, there is a there is a bypass. Teams can walk around if they don't want to it miss. They will miss two of the checkpoints, which they can do if they want. Remember, we don't have any we don't have any optional or compulsory checkpoints. The whole route is set out. You do what you feel that your team is capable of, and we 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 sort of move into the rankings at the end of the. So every point is actually an optional checkpoint. You can decide so, what you want to so do. So, so starting with that, you know, the first 15 checkpoints, then they get down on the beach and they're, they're, they're trekking on the beach for that long. Is the beach in such a way that they'll be able to see all the teams strung out across the beach? So if they look down the beach, they'll see the teams that are ahead of them and the teams that are behind them while they're doing this trek. Is, is that kind of, will that be possible for them to see each other? Definitely in that grouping. And the fact that we have 110 teams, obviously, it's not like a normal race where you might be in normal expedition Africa, we get 50, 60 teams. So yeah, definitely, but in your grouping. So as you know, we have we, you have these subgroups forming right early on the race. So I think you'll establish your subgroup. Where are you? Are you looking at top 10 here? Are you looking at top 20? Are you, you know, you're the mid-pack? Are you the backpack? Where are you exactly? So I think that will sort of decide the pecking order. Uh, because that's just pure strength. Once you, except if you make a navigation mistake, 
um, which I really doubt on this first leg. The only sort of negative thing about the first um, leg is obviously because it's dairy farm, there's quite a lot of, a lot of fences and gates. Um, so the navigation is not that tricky. And also because you've got this volume of people, you know, there's not like you're ever going to be on your own. You will be in your pack. So except for somebody around you make a major, major mistake and you, and you follow them. So I don't see any too much happening there because it is a it is a line race. But yes, you'll see definitely maybe five to ten teams ahead of you in the same in your rear view mirror. Got it. And then and clearly the point you're saying there is that the navigation isn't complex for the beginning, but it is still 56 kilometers, right? So we're, we're, it's going to be a, an all-day trek. They're going to do that. There's significant walking on the beach. Access to water is going to be an issue. So right away, it's going to be a big test for the teams going right into the race, leg one. It's going to be hard to see how they do. Plus the river crossing, so they're going to get completely drenched out of the water, back on the sand, completely drenched. And so, and I, I think you make a good point about teams that are racing for the first time in Africa. And I would argue that this kind of terrain, such an extensive, long sand beach walk, is going to test a lot of teams in terms of how their gear is, their foot care, things like that. Um, so right out of the way, Expedition Africa World Championship is is going at them immediately from that trek. They then go from that into into a cycle. Um, I know that it's 181 kilometers, so it's, it's it's a lengthy cycle and about 2,400 feet of elevation gain in, in terms of meters, 2,400 meters of elevation gain. Walk us through that leg two cycle. Right, so we're basically going from the coast into the main sort of racing area. So it's called the Karoo. It's a sort of a semi, I can't put it, semi-dead, it's not the right word, it's an arid sort of, sort of landscape, but as... The tradition for Expedition Africa is we always bring the rain. So this area of the Eastern Cape has been in a seven, eight-year drought with severe water restrictions, all the dams running below 10%. And then the last two weeks, all the dams overflowing. It hasn't stopped rain. <laughs> it's October. I mean, I was out there on I was out there in the last two weeks on the course. I mean, this I mean, I've spoken to some of the farmers, landowners, you know, all the people that we work with, and they've seen in their lifetime they have never seen. So it is beautiful out there, green, lots of animals. And so, so yeah, so we're basically going into, into this area. So we first time that we're testing the mountains. So we're going over the first ridge. So if you look at the Eastern Cape on Google, you'll see we have the coastline, you know, running east to west, basically. And then we have two or three mountain ranges in, in distances inland. So you basically, it's like these ridges every now and again. So we are crossing the first two ridges to get into the flatland. Um, so that's quite a climb up until CP25. It's, it's, it's a hotel right on the peak. Um, and then dropping down and then getting into the um, in, into the more the sort of uh, where. So if, if the rain, if the rain, it has been dry the last two, three days. So obviously those roads dry quite quickly. Then obviously... I think the teams will start seeing that if you can do that line cycling, strong person in front, maybe a tow rope or two, but if you can stay in a bunch after behind each other and you have that capacity to stay in a big chain ring, that is where those teams will have a, a huge benefit. So, yeah, basically from the coast, we are on the way to the mountains. Now, folks at home who are listening to this, they could go to the website right now and they could actually take a look at the, you could watch the tracker at the same time. So while listening to this episode, you can walk yourself through the tracker and and that is out there. And in the show notes, we'll put a link to the tracker, but all the information is all over uh, Facebook and all over Instagram where you could find that. I noticed on the race book as I'm reading it here that um, they, they, from a navigation perspective, the teams have to plot their own points. So I see plot CP 18 to 27 and T2 from the master maps. That's uncommon to, to some of us. Could, could you walk through what that navigational expectation is for the teams? Yes, I mean, that is the way we've been doing it for 15 years. And it obviously doesn't mean that's the way it should be done, but it's just our Expedition Africa way. So why do we do it? That's what be the question that people will ask us because everybody is moving forward in technology and that. So firstly, we have our maps are all A3 size maps all in, 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 in landscape print. We have 42 maps for the race on our leg one. Like we said, we have three maps on, on leg um, um, two. We have nine maps. So you have to put this puzzle together. So what we have is we have a we have a table with those maps laid out. And on those maps is all the checkpoints. Um, so you will receive your set of maps, which is a clean set of maps. You will then move towards this table. 
you will take a whatever device, pen, whatever you use, and you will mark all those control points on your map. So why do we do it? Firstly, if we have a, a pre-printed map with checkpoints on, somewhere on that map, you're going to indicate in circle, that's a common practice. So we have a circle with a dot in the middle, and that dot is exactly where our CP board is placed. So we also, every checkpoint is placed a board. There's no, we don't take photos. I visit the checkpoint two or three times before the race to see if it's right. I put out every point physically myself, um, and then I do try and collect all of them again. If I don't have a farm or someone, just remove it for me. So basically, when you, for me in adventure racing, the thrill of the, of the, of the thing is to find something. I want to find something when I get there. I want to go there and take a photo of it. I want to physically find someone to find an object that makes it more, much more satisfying. So we stayed with that system. And then it's so on this map, you will have CP5, you'll have a circle, all of that. Um, um, printing covers some sort of landmark. It covers some little gully. It covers some little contour line. And I take that away from the races, uh, where, it, where it's written on the map. So if when a person um, gets to the map, the way they want to mark it, they want to make a little X, they want to make a little circle. They don't want necessarily want to write CP5 or something or checkpoint 5. They want to just make a 5. They want to make a 5 in a little space where there is no um, – marks that they distinguish. So that's my main reason um, that when you have a printed map, you lose a lot of, of, of features because of the, the race organizer printed their words on top of it. That's number one. And then number two is we live in Africa. Things can change within an hour. So basically, I print, print, print all these maps years before, months before, weeks before, and I get on a course and I have to move it here, I have to move it there. So now I can, I've got my master maps that is pre-printed um, just to save time for me, but um, I can then grab a clean map and I can redo all, all the things. I can decide to remove a checkpoint, many reasons. It gives me, it gives me much more flexibility. That's the main reasons why I'm printing it. Plus, thirdly, there's another factor. So we don't do it like really in the old days where we gave you um, coordinates and you have to then do the formula and, Measure with the, we don't do it that way still. Nobody, nobody does that. But um, now you have to, after two days of lack of sleep, make sure that you put it in the right place. So there's a lot of reasons, you know, use it, don't use it. Yeah. And that's a, and, and to your credit, the, the, the mental start in the beginning with the long trek on the beach combined with the need to, to find the master maps. Clearly, the physical component plays a role. But as we know in adventure racing, we see it time and time again mental strength teamwork holding it together and that's another element that brings that here um for the for the for the listeners at home i noticed that you said that cp25 was a hotel veranda so a long climb up the cp25 and i noticed in the race book that the descent of cp26 going down the other side is rather rocky and you want teammates teams to be careful during that what kind of track is that is that a single track is that a is that a jeep trail what will they be on coming down off that that hill yeah, so it's basically a, a, a dirt road pass over the mountain and up to the hotel, for obvious reasons, it's, uh, it's drivable by sort of most vehicles. It is steep, but you don't really need a four-wheel drive, so it's nice, nice um, 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 a road, but, um, you know, in an African way. And then when you go down, that same road, which used, used to be an old, in the old days, the main road, many years ago, um, has now become sort of a jeep track. Yeah. Got it. Still drivable, but definitely now if you're in a vehicle, four-wheel drive, and like for our media, remember this this is now tonight, our first night, so we don't allow any media past CP25. Definitely not at night. For the slower teams that goes through there tomorrow morning, the media can follow them, but the condition is you have to have a four-wheel drive. Also, if something happens to our media up there, you know, we have, we have, we have, uh, we have um, 70 media cars following this race. Um, we can help you next week. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll catch up to you when the racers are done being passing, passing through there I noticed that the finish for TA2 that takes place at the school and if, if team, teams want they could book a room at the school dormitory I noticed that that's an availability at the end of uh, at leg 2 um, now you expect the teams to get the leg 2 at the end of the second night or at the end of the first night when do you expect teams to get there no basically the first morning First morning. So basically, okay. yeah. So basically, we 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 started at eleven this morning. So Friday morning, tomorrow morning at about seven, we accept we expect them there. Yeah. Got if it. If they really if they really push it, 
We're looking at about what's we're looking at about twelve hours. But that's now, because, okay. Uh, because other side, the, you know, up until the mountain is quite fast, but there is a lot of tricky navigation on that cycle leg. People will sort of lose it a bit there. It's all through sort of suburbs, not suburbs like farming farming areas, but a lot of little small roads, a little details. And another thing is remember, this is the first time the teams are actually getting onto our maps. So every, as you know, every country's map looks different. It's got a different look and feel details. Um, and the first, the first check, obviously, you've seen the maps. You've on the maps. Remember, the, the teams only received the information 30 hours ago. First, anything. All they, all they knew before, before our registration was what, what sequence of legs are. So only um, 24, 36 hours ago, they, they just see what distance, elevation, and all this sort of thing. So it's been tough to go into that expedition concept to having no information. So obviously what 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 we're good to see is after the world champs and leading into Ecuador next year is what will what will the future be? Because this whole model sort of changed and I stand to be corrected but according to me around about 2015, 2016, when teams didn't get anything. And suddenly the the the, the pattern changed. I mean I've got no opinion on it, um, if it's good or bad, but basically where people started getting everything two weeks before the time. Um, and we just specifically, specifically decided this year not to give it for, for many reasons. But also, for mainly is to keep, I think it's you, you keep the course secret, everybody's got a fair playing field. Because definitely, if you follow our, also our promotional video that we put out two years ago, if you really carefully follow it, and after the race, you're going to work out the route because it's on there. Um, so if you're really, really in that sort of frame of mind and you figure out all the tips we put out and we post a lot about our route, you can obviously work out the route a lot. So that's why we kept it secret. Um, and so the maps on cycling is the first time they'll see it. So a little bit of adjustment to fix that and to see what features on the map. And then by the end of the legs, I think they'll work at a hangover leg because they've done two legs now of the two disciplines to work out how it works for them now. Gotcha. Gotcha. So if we, if we come through that leg two cycle, the teams, you said they're on, you're on your maps for the first time. They have to do the plotting. They do all of that. They have that big descent. Um, and then they go into a trek. And this is a trek that's 80 kilometers, uh, has an abseil built in there also. And I believe leg three has the highest point on the race also. Walk us through leg three. Okay. So basically we on uh, we in Somerset East. is a town sort of uh, 200 kilometers, yeah, 200 kilometers inland uh, of, of the coast. Um it's on a on a on a foot of a a, a mountain about eight nine hundred meter elevation. I mean climb. So the team descend this mountain. They're on private farmland now. We they reach a waterfall. There's a fifty meter abseil, and basically there's probably a little bit of a maybe a kilometer of very thick canyon bush on the bottom. Find a checkpoint and they exit the canyon again, and then they start moving all over these farms. A lot of up and down, a lot of up and downs. We have um. If you look on the CPs, you'll see we have two, we call it the trick beacon. It's a, it's a beacon on, placed on each highest point. So there's multiple of those beacons in our country. So that shows you've got of the, of the um, what have we got, 20, 20 odd um, checkpoints on his leg. Um, two of them is our trick beacon. So that means two of them are right on top of a mountain. And yeah, I would say the highlight is now, especially now it's extremely green. Um, remember, water is going to be a concern here. You'll have to, like in the first leg, there is no water until 50 kilometers. So you'll have to make sure that you have the capacity to carry this amount of water. Yeah, you'll be able to fill up a lot. Rivers, a lot of because the rain, a lot of the farmers have have farm dams for, for the animals, which is which if you go to the source where the water comes out of the pipe from the windmill, you can get there. But a lot of animals, a lot of we have a big antelope in our country called kudu. Um, um the word is yeah, kudu, like I say that. Like the farmer says on in our on our farm, there's a kudu around everybody behind every bush. So there's a lot of animals, baboons. So hopefully they'll see a lot of that. And this is wild now. This is all hunting farms. Hunting season is in some in, in winter for us. So it's now so don't have to worry, there's no hunters gonna hunt the the, the, the teams. But this is real wilderness. It's this whole area is after the abseil for 65 kilometers, it totally blocked for all media. All our AOL series media, all our team media. They will have no, they will probably see no other people. Maybe a farmer that's coming to see what these crazy people are doing. 
and obviously their team team and other teams. But you won't see anybody. When you stand on some of those beacons and you look around you, you will see pretty much, other than the fence maybe, no man-made structures. And this, and, 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 and to your point, that's this is the third trek. They've done a significant abseil down into the canyon. They've had to make their way through the canyon very wet. And to your point, I remember the first time I did a race and I saw a trig beacon on a map. I didn't even know what that was. And I realized very quickly that trig beacon means you're climbing. And I'm looking right now at the IC Trig Beacon at least twice on this on this the, on the route book right here. So clearly, you have them going up and going down, and really remote. And I want to sort of emphasize the point you're talking about is while there's a ton of media around this around this race, it that's like it's like a media blackout version. Like those teams that are in there, they are in there and they are remote. And I've noticed that the finish one is the Game Farm Resort, and so you're putting the teams into a pretty active animal territory. The hunting season is is away from us. It's not here yet. Um, and so this is really where the teams, especially the international teams that are coming in, are going to get a real taste of what Africa is like to race inside of. Yes, yeah, we, we obviously have no real big game, any dangerous animals. There is obviously leopards and stuff in the mountain, but they won't. They won't um, maybe they see you as a tasty snack when you're lying in your bivy bag somewhere, but in general, they don't attack people in any way. Uh, a lot of snakes. Snakes, not so much inland, but on the coast, on the first leg, they're definitely going to see snakes. Um, but the snakes they will see is they basically only have a problem when they, if they're going to step on it. So the snakes are, will move away, but that is, there is snakes, definitely. But with the wet weather now, then obviously the snakes goes away a bit. Um, yeah, so basically this third leg is, I would say, from a tracking point of view, it's going to be very interesting because now you must remember Thursday morning, yesterday, Five o'clock, the buses departed to the resort. So the teams would have been up at about four. Um, that whole process, with because they're stopping at T1 to remove their bikes out of their bike boxes. And then 11 o'clock, they start. So 11 o'clock by Friday, they not have, they haven't raced for 24 hours. They've raced for 36 hours. 11 o'clock by um, Saturday night, and 11 o'clock on Saturday, uh, on Saturday, on Saturday, Friday night, and Saturday morning is two days into the race. Because you count the first first sort of eight hours we were away. So the thing is, the dark zone is on legs. I'm jumping you a little bit, but dark zone on leg five basically is only open between five and seven. And what people don't know is that leg three and leg four tricks. But remember, the teams until two days ago didn't know that leg three and leg four, leg four was just a linking trick. It's only a 10-kilometer trick basically to get from a, a decent transition where you can replenish basically to the river edge where there is zero facilities. Um, so um, teams that could only plan that in the last two days. So basically you're going to sleep at transition three, wake up, then you still have to walk 10 kilometers, getting a few checkpoints before you get to the river. So if you want to start paddling at five, you'll have to start moving at 3.30 on the latest. Three o'clock probably if you want to get your kayak ready. Um, so if you can get on a water by five. So what, what does it mean? It means that teams, if you arrive after 3 o'clock on Saturday morning at Transition 3, you're going to go straight in the paddle. You have not slept for two days. Right. So at the end of the paddle, it will be, in, if you finish at 5, you'll finish at 11. It will mean for two days solid you had no sleep, and we know how paddling, okay, the first part is, is, is quite a lot of rapids, but nothing serious, but there is moving water, so there is, action happening. The last 10 kilometers is on a, it ends up into a dam. So we can, now you're going to feel after not sleeping for 48 hours, it's nearly impossible. Right. And then, the, and then to your point, so when you finish the TA three, you finish at the game farm resort and then TA, then leg four is that is a transitional 10 kilometers to get to the to beginning of the paddle. And obviously the dark zone plays a role there. And if teams are pushing it, because they're up against the dark zone, they want to get started. They're not going to slow down. So those teams at the front are really looking at almost 40 plus hours being awake, really challenging terrain. You mentioned the beach in the beginning, the river crossings, that long cycle, the trig beacons, and now they have to keep pushing really, really hard. And so right away, sleep strategy plays a role. And then they come into this, this kayak and to your point, the kayak, which is if anybody's done a race, you know, staying awake during a kayak is hard enough as it is. Now all of a sudden you're two days into the race. This is a 65 kilometer kayak and with no checkpoints. So it's get on the water and paddle for 65K and then get off at the other side of it. Yeah. 
yeah, so yeah, so I think the top 10, 15, 20 teams um, will push to because I've got my expected time just after midnight at T3. If you really push hard, that gives you that gives you nearly nearly 24 hours on that hike. Um, so not 20, oh, probably about 20 hours. So if you if you miss it and you don't get that two three hours sleep before you have to wake up at 3:30, yes, you're gonna have to sleep somewhere on the kayak, which is not pleasant. Well, Obviously for the back team. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the I'm looking right now at the at the race book and the way the dark zone works. By the way, great, thank you for using my podcast name in your race book. The dark zone, um, it's an effect from 1900 hours, 7 p.m. at night to five o'clock in the morning, and teams that are on the water at that time have to exit. You cannot be moving on your kayak, and the the tracker will show if they are. But seven o'clock at night comes, you got to come off the water, and for the next those x, x, x amount of hours, you you're not allowed to get in the water till five o'clock the next morning. No. Yeah, so basically, yeah, so you know you're going to take you five, six hours. So, yeah, anything, if you start paddling anything off the one or two, it's a good chance. The last 10 kilometers actually of the paddle, when you, there's, there's five there's, there's five portages. Uh, it might change when the people arrive at the paddle, depending on what the, we have the local canoe club managing the whole section for us. But these five places we have to take out, um, two weirs, three bridges, which is marked. Um, so that will also keep the teams a bit awake because a bit of human interaction there. Um, but the last 10 kilometers, they can paddle at night. So if you can reach that last 10 sort of after the last, there's a bridge. So as soon as you take, you don't have to take out the bridge, but we made it a portage. So when you do that portage, you know, this is it. Now you can paddle at night and it becomes a dam. So you must make sure you get to this place at seven. If you get there five past seven, you're going to sleep there for 10 hours. Got it. Got it. You're probably going to need Right. And you'll need that. And so there are. And so for some of the teams that will be welcome. Right. If the, the dark zone, some teams will, will not look forward to the dark zone. But the fact that it's a compulsory stop, they will catch their breath. And it says in the route book that you have to be you have to all your gear and your food. You have to plan on the fact that you might get stuck on the water. And as a result, the dark zone will be there waiting for you. And and think about the, the front teams at this point. This could be a significant front teams may be grilling to get off the water by the time the dark zone comes because they can get stuck there. And. If they're a half an hour away, if it's if it's you know if they're almost done, they're ten k away, five k away, and the dark zone comes, they got to stop for all that time. Now everybody behind them has to stop also, but still, it's gonna it's a it's gonna really bite into their ability to finish quickly. What's your prediction? I know prediction is a fool's game. Where do you think the the front teams are going to be? The top ten teams by this point of the dark zone, think they'll be beyond this section, or might they get caught inside of it? No, I'll, 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 I'll be very surprised if we don't get 20 to 50 teams through on the battle league without ever sleeping. I'll Got be it. very surprised. There is definitely, there is definitely, um, let me just look at my notes here, 39, CP39, remember that one. CP39, that might um, cause a few tears and you're going to hit it in the middle of the night. Very tricky, very tricky point. That is described so as a, a, fence, a fence mat in a riverbed. What is a fence mat in riverbed? So basically what a fence mat is, and you'll see I've actually um, explained it in the race book because you see it quite often. So when a fence line crosses a river, um, if they put the fixed fence line in the river, it will wash away after every every rainstorm, every flood, which is often. So what they've done is they've put a movable fence. So it's a basically a fence that can sweep. It will go with the river so the bottom is not secured. So the bottom would, the top is secure and the bottom will lift up. So it makes it also easy to, when you get there, you can just lift up the bottom, climb through. And so that's a fence match. So it's a very easy access for us to get into different farms, especially with game fences, because you can sort of, you have to go a little bit, get a little bit dirty on your hands and knees. But if one person lifts it up, all three can crawl through and vice versa on the other side. So there's quite a lot of it, but a lot of dry riverbeds and every, every riverbed because of the game farms. It's got fences. So whenever it crosses, there is many of those mats. So at GP39, there's multiple rivers with multiple fence mats. And if you haven't slept for two days, and you, and you will get it in the dark if you're a front team. And from around about CP33 to CP39, I've sort of, we've let them into a idea of, oh, we're just going to follow all the Jeep tracks and we're going to tick them off. But suddenly you're going to be in that mindset. Remember, the teams are not hearing this. And then um, 39 might catch a few people. So if you go milling around there in the night, 
and you're losing, and now you're only five kilometers away from your bed. It might, um, and that's what I, that's what I, I, I would be looking for you. Got it. Got it. So, so, so folks at home, CP 39, watch the trackers closely, watch other teams. Uh, a few tears as Stefan said, might be shed, it over, shed over that. So we talk about leg three, leg four is a 10 kilometer trek. Leg five is our kayak with our possible dark zone. Um, that should be interesting. How many teams make it through? Don't make it through who gets stuck. And then it, now the kayak, that's the only kayak, only water on the entire race is there. And then leg six, they go into a, a, a three kilometer short trek. Is that just to get them from the kayak to the next TA? Yeah. So in reality, leg four, five, and six is one leg. So it's basically it. a linking trek to the river, to the kayak, and link back to the transition where there is proper facility. So I could have made it in one leg, but we chose to make it into, into three different legs. So basically, we treat it as, as one leg, but the teams have to treat it as one leg too because there's no facilities at four and five. And yep. you have to carry anything with your also your kayak bag, which you packed now, um, you know, on, on Tuesday and, and loaded two days before the race started. Whatever's in there is going with you. So you can't pack any stuff in there. And also, if you're going to sleep and you wanted that extra sleeping bag, you have to paddle with that sleeping bag. You can put it in your kayak bag, but it has to go with you. So you have to sort of really look at your speech. So the mid-pack teams, I would say, will all say, Somewhere during Saturday, we're going to arrive at T transition free and we're going to sleep. Someone will sleep for 14 hours because if you arrive at T3 lunchtime, are you going to walk for 10 kilometers, get on the water at four o'clock, paddle for an hour and then spend 10 uncomfortable hours? Or are you going to cut your losses and say, if I do a good 14 hour sleep here, I can be, do a push. And remember with the distance, and there's been a lot of rumblings about it, is remember with the world champs, our, our requirement, unofficial sort of, let's call it, you can't, you can't these days call it the gentleman, let's call it the person agreement, is there's 100 hours we would like the top teams to be active. And for our qualifier, or for AL World Series qualifiers, 72 hours. So 100 hours fits into every area different. If I'm in, in France with in, insane inclines, it's 450k. If I'm in a flat sort of um, area that we are in, it goes up to 850. So interesting enough, our long our, our, we don't have unofficial and official routes. So we have a, the regional route, which is our route, is 850 k's. And our alternative route is 810 k's. So it doesn't make sense when I say that. So that's sort of the old days, the short route. But it, when we talk to it, it will be fine. So, yeah, so that takes us to transition seven, end of the water. Now we're really getting into the sort of the meat and potatoes of the road for the race. And, and and after all of that, after all that travel and everything, leg seven is a 224-kilometer cycle, over 200 kilometers of cycling after so many days of racing, sleep, water, carrying, and not a lot of CPs here, right? There's only uh, seven or eight CPs on this section. Walk us through this leg seven. This is going to be a bear. This is, this is, yeah, this is the long. I mean, uh, just to put you in context, our logistical line, from T60, um, T7 is 340 kilometers for our logistic vehicles to drive. But that's all on Tar Road, where the teams obviously have a little bit of a shorter route at 224. Five checkpoints. Remember, the idea we have behind Expedition Africa that although we are in the same area and we have a privilege in our country, uh, we have this is our 11th Expedition Africa, that every Expedition Africa looks different. It's not like you're going to the same country, it always looks the same. Our vegetation change, our animals change, the people change, the cultures change. Everything is different. Even if you three or 400 kilometers down the road, it looks very different. So <laughs> this area, we've never, ever raced in this area of, of, of 80% of our race course. We've never raced in before. Um, so this, so what I, where I'm getting at is basically that every leg that we have, afterwards you must say it was different. It mustn't be just another cycle. It looks the same. Um, it mustn't be... The same with a trek. You must see. I remember that there was dunes in that one. There was, there was animals in that one. There was thorn bushes in this one. It was more tropical in this one. We want every leg to definitely um, look different, not just a repeated repeat of the same sort of area. So this this cycle, you basically now are going through town. So you're actually going visiting four different towns, where in 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 well, some of them are open twenty four seven. We actually can stop at the garage, have a coffee. Buy something to eat. You can book into hotels on the road. Not hotels, really, but motels or little guest houses. Guest house, okay. Yeah. 
So there's a different feel. They're very straight, very long. Um, also fruit, multiple farms. Now we're going to sheep and angora goat, which is a, a goat with long hair, which they make um, you know products of. Mm-hmm. This is the, the the biggest angora goat area in the world. You'll see I have thousands of these of these goats. That is where all this hair comes from. So yeah, that, that 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 is this leg. I've, I've noticed as I look through the race book here, this is one of the more interesting uh, comments in a race book I've ever seen. I'll, I'll read it to you. Um, Do not climb gate fences next to road. There are lions on farms just before CP 47. So the concern would be that racers would possibly tangle with the local lions and you're warning them not to do that. So good call on you to make sure you don't get eaten. Yes, basically, there is some fences that you have to climb. Obviously, if there's a gate in front of you, most of them open, but you might find a gate that's not on this route, but you never know. But there's fences next to the road all the time. So you might decide, look, that bush there over this fence is a nice sleeping spot. So sleep in the bush that you find without the fence. Yeah, we don't want to. We don't want to keep the lines well fed. We want everyone to go home in one piece. Uh, and yeah. to your point, there's a bit of a change in the course here because they are passing through those the more populated areas, so they could take care of themselves. And I think that this is for the teams that are towards the middle and the back of the pack. This is when they're sort of they're hanging on right by leg seven, a, a ten leg race. You begin to sort of sense the finish line. You begin to sense where we are. Um, now I'm assuming that by the time that the 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 middle and the back of the pack teams get here. You expect the finishers to be to be near the the winners to be near the end of the race. By the time that the back is at like seven, the winners should be coming in more or less. Are you expecting that by this point? Yes. So basically, Monday we have it like if Monday the last paddle. The paddles will probably be over three days, sort of first 50, 40, maybe maybe even fifty on the first day, another fifty on the second day, and maybe like ten or so teams on Monday. So. So by Monday, when that first last team is off the water, I would say the the first team is nearly at the finish. Else, got it. Okay, so a big cycle on like seven. It's going to be a, a a fun lion free time for everybody. Get a guest house, get a meal, get a coffee, and then we get into our leg eight. Is a trek of about sixty four kilometers and fifteen hundred meters of gain. What's that trek look like for everybody? So before this trek is obviously our our our, our cut for the alternative route number one. So at this transition, at transition seven, you have to be out of there by Wednesday, one o'clock. If you have not, you will then miss this trick and you will get back on your cycle for another 150 kilometers after that 250, which is that cycle, I would say, is if it's not even more prettier and more spectacular than the one on the on the other pass, it's not a definitely not a second right route. But yes, this trick, very interesting trick when you actually leave this guest farm and you traverse through a little bit of mountain ranges. When you get out of that, maybe two kilometers of, of going through the hills, you can actually see the following mountain range. That's 55 kilometers away, 40 kilometers away. You can see the famous Bavians Mountains. So Bavians Mountains, a very famous mountain in Africa. It's one of the, the biggest wild conservation areas in, 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 in Africa. Um, um, so, yeah, so you can see over these, this is, it's a flat plain of 40 kilometers where you're going to follow Jeep tracks through all these goat areas um, where you're basically going to be a very, very steep descent climb up. And then we are at the head of the canyon. And it looks like the, the, it sounds like this is going to be a beautiful section. I know there's, there's a weather hold there too in case there's rain on the way in. What is that canyon like? And are there ropes, not ropes? Can they climb down on their own? What's that section going to be like for the teams? Now, this is a very, very interesting canyon. It's a, it's a hair-raising descent into this canyon on sort of loose sort of scree. Helmets are compulsory from that checkpoint from CP60. So I think when they do it, they're really going to sort of think, what are what we thinking when we did it? Um, especially at nighttime. Maybe nighttime is better. You don't see what you're yeah, doing. You haven't seen anything. Exactly. Who knows how dangerous yeah. it is? Exactly. But it is quite – it's not dangerous from a cliffy point of view, but definitely – from so you have to be careful that you don't dislodge any sort of not really boulders, but sort of just stones for your team member down. But once you get in the bottom of this canyon, you got about four or five kilometers of we we I would say fifty percent of the time you can touch both sides of the canyon. Wow. And you have four hundred meter cliffs up. It's wow. amazing. Wow. But at, at night time it's gonna be a real tester. So we have about four, let's call it waterfalls. 
about anything between uh, not more than sort of four to five meters with ropes that's fixed there, but you can just climb down. You don't have to have any rope. It's not hanging, free hanging. It's sort of all on a sort of angle, so you just need something just to have a bit of a grip so you can step yeah. down it. Right, but down. At, at the end of each of these water, there's water. And with this rain now, I'll be I'll be in that canyon. I'll be in that canyon first from the bottom going up to see if all my ropes are still there after all these rains. Um, but yes, that that uh, I, we did it in winter. It was it was cold. Now it's hot, summer, hotter. But at middle of the night, and the water is black, you'll see nothing in that canyon. You'll see your headlight. So you have to look down these little rocky drops. You can't. You cannot jump at any stage because it's not real swimming pools. It's sort of just pools that fill up with water. So it's, you know, there's rocks and stuff. You have to climb, swim, climb, swim. Probably maybe fifteen times. Got it. Yeah. And the so, so probably maybe, the teams are fully soaked through. They're going to be wet. They're going to be tired. It'll be the dark. This is this is this is real racing right here. This is where it's going to get challenging. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, all the alternative route people will miss this. And then obviously, you talked about the weather story. So. This canyon starts, the canyon starts, starts on the edge of the mountain. So if there's a flash flood in this canyon, you will never get out of this again. But the rain has to fall there where you start. If it, it's on the line, it's on the escarpment of that, of that gate. So if it rains 500 or kilometer other side, it will not get there. So when you get there and there's a downpour or there's an imminent chance, you have to stop there. It's also very difficult for us to get to that section. So... Yes, let's see how it goes. But remember that either, although there's a lot of rain at the moment, this is a semi-desert area, so it should not rain at all, nearly ever. Right. Um, but but the weather forecast looks fine. But yes, it might be a chance that we cancel the section if there's some sort of heavy rain in the area. And obviously, we always have that thing because if you do the so from the if you if you don't go into the canyon, there is a jeep track not too far away which you can follow all the way to the bottom of the valley. So yes, these yes, alternative yep. escape routes. You cannot go off the road. You cannot, if it's not a road or like that sort of, I won't call it the path into the canyon, but it is a sort of area where the vegetation is not, you don't go off road in this area. The vegetation, it's thick, it's thorns, it's, and it's steep. So you, so you need to be on a jeep track. And hopefully if we do decide to, to change it, we can change it for all people. We will not want to be in a, position where we get 10 teams through and 10 teams, you know, that just causes problems for everybody. Yeah, that can really stick you with the standings. So, timing and yeah, standings so too, right? If there's teams that are in the in the canyon and you have to detour teams around it, it gets weird in terms of who's how fast they're moving in time credits and yeah. all that nasty stuff that race directors ain't worried about, right? Okay. Well, hopefully hopefully the the, the Expedition Africa the theme of rain will, will stop eventually and you have a chance to get teams into that canyon. I'm looking forward to the media. I'm assuming them, there'll be media in the canyon to capture the photos and capture what that looks like. Yeah, so basically we have a, we have a dark zone for the media. Sorry I used that word so much. Feel, feel free to um, use it all you want. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so the dark zone for the media um, – Remember, we we started in 2014 and our fourth expedition really pushing this team media thing. So it becomes a race in itself. So we have 70 team media and 50 cars following the race. They have they they should actually we should actually make a movie just about them. Driving from transition position, they become a race on the uh, who's in front, who's it behind, they bond with each other, where do they get food? They're doing their own race. And we we're building this culture of team media coming. If you can't race anymore, if you're an old racer or an old injured racer or just somebody's wife or husband, or you want to be part of us, you're in your car, you are part of this race just as much. We have a full well, on briefing for it's them. A floating car- it's like a caravan, right? You have all the racers, you have 109 teams that are out there. You have 70, 70, you have 70 separate team media in their own cars tracking. You have your yeah. own media. Right. You have, and yeah. so there's this, there's this big, huge carnival, this caravan making its way through the African countryside. And to your point, it's more, it might be more fascinating than the race itself, watching all that. Because <laughs> they, 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 they think it's not where are we filling up with water, it's where are we filling up with fuel, where are we sleeping tonight, you know, and then obviously you sort of also you establish your picking order. You know, in a race, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm top five, this is the guys around me, this is the team now. I'm in the top five of the team media. It also becomes like a sort of badge of honor. This is it's my picking order, you know. I arrived first. I'm fifth. Okay, now I've passed you. It's very exciting. And obviously they have their own things. 
you know, especially on the cycle routes they're allowed to follow all the teams. <coughs> there is very little embargo on that, except some passes we put out from a, from a safety and a, just from a, from a skill set level. And that's what remember we at Team Media, we don't we don't accredit, we don't um, um, evaluate their skill set. We right. presume they're going to do the job. So I have to make in consideration that when I send them into an area, a person with little, you know, off-driving capacity and and self sort of sustainable fixing tires and stuff. It, it's, it's all in, a, in a, you know, it works out for everybody. So, but definitely a race in itself. Um, and, 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 and so the dog zone, where I'm coming back to the point, the dog zone is between 10 at night and four in the morning, every night. You're not allowed to have any contact. We, when we started this concept in 2015, 14, we realized around about 2019, that teams are starting to use it as a team tactic. So they basically, what they did is they they made sure their team media is just as physically strong as them. And especially at night, you would find that at night and all the trekking legs, they'll have a fifth member with them. So right. now you have a fifth person following you. He's got a spotlight on. He's interviewing the whole time. I'm not saying they're helping you with any maps or any decision making, but, you know, it, it keeps you awake. It keeps you amused. Somebody's talking to you. Not right. four people sleep deprived, you know, falling around. Anyway, so that, that 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 is what we have on that, and then um, <clears throat> so you talked about the canyon, the canyon, and the swims on the beginning is the only area where there's no dog zone for the media. So the the, the canyon they'll access from the bottom, mm-hmm. and they can go up the canyon as far as they physically, you know, their skill set allows. Got it. Okay, and that's and that's great too because there's going to be it sounds like the canyon and hopefully it stays on the course and I, I I bet that it will. Most likely that's a chance for those iconic photos that we see in the racing, right? The the high walls and then the tight squeezes in the water. That's when the the folks at home really get a sense of what adventure racing is like when you capture that kind of imagery. So 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 good on for that. Um, but still, we're still racing. Like holy cow! Like you know, after all that we've walked through, and we've been talking by the way for almost almost an hour now. We're forty eight minutes into the conversation and we're still on the course. Leg nine takes them into a 124-kilometer cycle with about 3,000 meters of gain. Tell us about that cycle. So this is basically a, a, a repeat of leg two because instead of going from the coast into the mountains, now we're coming out of the mountains into so the same two ridges that run parallel to the sea are getting crossed back and obviously in a very different area. Probably between those two points is 300 kilometers in the same sort of type of mountain pass. But this mountain pass, private mountain pass, and private people, maybe three, four owners that owns this pass, well, not own it, but it's over their property. Mm-hmm. And it's probably about 40 kilometers of private cheap track. Um, I don't know if you know the tea, they call it honeybush, honeybush tea, which is cultivated in our country a lot. That's all honeybush farms, extremely remote. I mean, it's... No, none of us are allowed up. Not even I'm driving up. I've got the one. There's a house. There's actually a house in the middle of this mountain where the tea growers goes if they if they harvest the honey bush. And because of it's so remote, they actually go and stay there for a week or two at a time because they don't want to drive up and down. So this is a full-on house. We have somebody manning that house. That's going to be a beautiful place to be. It's got hot water. It doesn't have power, but it's got the its own system going there off grid. Hot water, beds, actually drinking water. So there's a lot of teams. CP64. Yeah. Are you going to have a, a, some sort of, can teams, can, will, will, will media be able to report on the teams from there? Is there a Starlink set up, any sort of wireless up there? Or are they too remote? Nothing. 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 Just out there. No, nobody, will, nobody will see it. But obviously our, our, the ARL series media will be at certain stages taken up. But again, remember, this is Sunday night. Right. The last teams are just getting ready for the paddle. This is Sunday night. So according to our calculations, the canyon for the first team is also going to be at night time. We'll try right. to work it out that it is a night time. Because, again, we want to make sure that the front teams doesn't get, get all sunshine. Got it. That they have to work their way. They have to, that's the challenge of the moving at that speed, that time at nighttime is is, is obviously a, a huge skill set they have to have. And they're, they're tired, they're beat up. And to this point, here they come. And then we go into our, I believe, is our final Final stage is a 32-kilometer trek. What is that like? What, they, what, what would the teams be finishing up on when they come home? Yeah, so basically at transition nine is the transition between leg nine and ten, and that is where the alternative route one will meet them again. So basically what happens in alternative route, we have the same type of cycle, 
but we've eliminated that 60 kilometer hike with the canyoning, which is a slow, time consuming affair. Mm -hmm. So it will put you, you'll miss that. So that will probably for a slow team will take him a day. So we've taken, although we've only taken about maybe 50, 40 kilometers out of the route for them, we've taken a day and a half of traveling with pain out of them. So that's basically where alternative route is. So not much difference in distance, still over 800 kilometers, but we've taken that track leg out. So they'll join up on the coast in a beautiful town on uh, of um, Oyster Bay. And then basically that's in line from that to the finish is probably about less than 20 kilometers. But we're going through another dune field here of 32 kilometers. And there's also, they also, um, let's say, let's put it now out there for the world to see. Keep an eye on CP75. Okay. It My CP75 might cause that you drop from first position to fifth position. Really? Now, now the clue here says start of path. What is so challenging about CP75? It's very hard to find. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, in a, it's, in a, it's in a dune field. It's in a dune field about a kilometer wide with thick vegetation on either side. And in somewhere in this thick vegetation, there's a start of a path. So I think at nighttime it might be easier because if you're sort of in the right idea, uh, area and you shine your light, you're able to pick up my reflectors on all my boards. Right. So, but in daytime, and this dune feels interestingly enough, it's got so much water in now, it's like a swimming pool in there. When I put out the checkpoint last week, I was walking chest deep through the pools there. So yeah, it's just total transformation. So um, yeah, it might, you might, um, we actually, we actually used another section of this dune field. We had a race here. We had Expedition Africa in the same area in 2018 where we used the same resort, but we only used maybe, I would say, 20, no, 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 I'm lying. Maybe 10 kilometers of the same route we're using now to be used. It's just basically arriving at the resort. So the last 10 kilometers are similar, sort of similar, similar area. And we had um we had a uh, 2018 we had Team Eastwind, which are here today. They they went here from position number three to about eight in a good 12 hours of meandering through the dune fields 10 kilometers before they end. So watch that tracker. And and it's it's amazing to, and and a true world's course <laughs> that of, of the 78 CPs on the course, this is CP 75. So right until the very end, the teams have to earn their way, have to make their way the entire time. And then obviously 75, if they survive and find that hard to, to find checkpoint, they come through and the finish is obviously at Cape, Cape uh, St. Francis Resort, which is the host resort for the entire race. Um, it, it's, Stefan, it's, it's quite the course. It's How would you, you know, you said this is your 15th expedition race. And, and if every race sort of compounds and it builds over time and you make the next one better and better and better. And this being your 15th expedition race and this being a world championship, what makes this one special for the, for for you personally as you think about all the time and effort you've put into the race? Well, I think um, I think it's big. Not I'm not. I mean, everybody's looking at the 800 k. Um, it's still 100 hours. I mean, except if our timing is way off, but it's still 100 hours. Um, <clears throat> sorry, and um, it's it's yeah. It's just the scale. The scale. You know, especially teams who come from countries who does the the loop system where you cycle, put your bike down, do a loop, pick up your bike, next transition, do a loop. Especially for those teams, the scale of this is going to be, you know, you, you're going forward. You're going forward. You can physically see the mountain you're going to cross multiple times. So I think that, I, I think, and, and at nighttime, full moon is basically when we finish. You know, as, as we go through the route, the, 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 it will become more lighter, except the, the over, except if it's overcast like it is, like it is today. But it it, it says it will clear as we go along. Um, actually, at transition seven, that transition, one of their their biggest sort of attractions is people to come and gaze at the Milky Way, and at the stars. So at night time, when it's open up here, the stars are just unbelievable. I think the scale of it, it's just. I mean, all countries are beautiful. Every country's got beautiful places. It's not. It's not about that at all. But I think, I think that what makes me happy. I think we've ticked all the boxes. Look, I mean, it's very easy to put it all on paper, 
let's see if we get to the end of how close we are to 100 hours that it's all hopefully 15 years of experience got us sort of close to it but it's always a you know it's always something in the back of your mind because i hope i didn't make a excel spreadsheet error somewhere along the road you know after two years but let's hope it all works out and everybody i mean look the main thing is every for us is the safety but i think the bigness of this route and just just the fact that you're gaining so much ground and that you yeah it's uh, the unknown it's just expedition into unknown you know you only know what you're doing two days before you start yeah i think it's hopefully that whole experience is what i can hope people can take back yeah I think you're. Uh, I think you're. You're spot on. You talk about the the size of the course and the bigness of it, and the and the lack of a looping system built in there. Very often, that's a byproduct of people who have limited access to land, and you have this big, huge swath of landscape to work off of. What I think will be fascinating to watch is besides the race at the front, right? And there's and there's so many good, strong teams have come out, and, and to your credit, they've they've responded to the to the South African Championship first by the way first championship world championship in South Africa in Africa so congratulations to 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 breaking through that barrier but also that there are just over 100 teams on the course and the thing about this course that struck me when I looked at the race book and I saw the flyover is you're out there like you're racing like there's no there's no cutoff there's no way to take a different turn there's no going around something like the teams that have committed to this race have committed to this race and they're going to be out there for a long time and the, and the race is open for for much longer than the 100 hours and so it's going to be fascinating to see how those you know the, the front of the race teams are fascinating to watch because they're machines and they go so strong but then the real human drama you begin to see in the middle of the pack in the back of the pack the, the people who are slugging it away and really out there for multiple days it's going to be a fantastic race to follow along. Um, I want to tell our listeners, and Stefan's been very kind with his time, and I want him to get back to his racers, so I'm going to let him go in a second. But for those at home, um, one thing that they've done really, really well at Adventure Racing World Series is that the media surrounding this race has been excellent. Between the trackers, the team previews, um, you could see the flyover, you could see the race book, all of that. And the Dark Zone is going to bring more episodes coming out of this this race. Um, we're looking sometime during the race to bring on an expert panel to talk about the race so far. We're shooting for that in two or three days. And then obviously, at least we will have an interview with the champs at the end of this, whoever that that, that team may be. And it's going to be fascinating to see who it is. Once again, Noah Via, wide open race for the front. Um, we'll see how they do. Stefan, I want to give you the last word before we say goodbye to you and let you get back to your racers. What do you want to finish up with? Yeah, I think I think sleep is going to be the defining factor here. There is no way you're getting through this race without sleeping three times. And, you know, that is important. I, I can't see it happening. So remember, our race is open for 200 hours um, and that in two alternative routes to make sure that you get to the end. So if everybody is in there and you committed and that you should, I want 100% finishing rate. If I can get that job well done, not doing a little checkpoints, but definitely getting on one of the free routes back to the finish line. And um, but obviously things do happen. But I think the main thing is to sleep, sleep, and sleep. Wise, I don't want to say old and wise races, but wise races is going to make the difference here. Not not the speedy ones. There's the, this is tactics and deciding when to do what, where to sleep. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, this is, this is strategy, not strategy of finding checkpoints, the strategy of, of getting your four people over this course as far as you can, but working on the sleep equipment planning. Yeah. I think strategy is going to be a major role when you hit a certain point at a certain time. And when you hit it, sleep deprived or not sleep deprived, that's going to be a, a major, major change. Uh, that's going to be the game changer. I feel. There you have it, folks. Episode number 79 of The Dark Zone, your adventure racing podcast. Thank you to Stefan for his time. We recorded this at a moment in which the race was coming together and races were arriving and the course was being laid out and he was kind enough to make time for us. Good luck to everybody out there on the course. Good luck to the stories. Find those stories. We look forward to bringing our listening audience even more tales from the world champs and as we go forward, from the entire adventure racing community. We love the fact that we get to do this for the AR racers that are out there and the race directors and the volunteers and the families and the fans. 
Above all else, the Dark Zone is a love letter to adventure racing. Something happens out there that helps to change people, makes them better, makes them different, offers them an understanding of who they are and what they can be. And we love to play our role. And we love to hear from all of you. Feel free to reach out to me, brian at ardarkzone.com with your ideas, thoughts, and suggestions. Always open to what you have to say. Some of our best ideas have come from our listeners. And we hope that you continue to be a listener. And as always, enjoy yourself and have fun racing out there. Go get them. I've been on a long road With the devil right beside me Rising with the morning sun It's the hunger that drives me Feet. 